Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, it is so good to be back. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Albert. I'm a campus pastor here at the Tapestry Richmond, and I've been away for about three and a half months. Um, I'll, I have been on sabbatical, and during that time, we welcomed into the world our second-born child. Her name is Carissa. Here's a picture of her. I know it's great. Uh, her name, Carissa, is from the Greek charis, which means grace, that God has truly graced us with this child. Some of you know that we, uh, before Carissa, we have been praying for a child for, for, for many years. We have been trying to conceive, and so um, we're just really thankful for this gift in this, in this little one. And so thank you for your prayers, and uh, it's just so good to be back here with you guys today, worshiping with you and sharing the word with you. And, um, you know, right now it's not about me, so we're going to move away from that. It's just good to see everybody. Just wanted to say that. Um, but we're going to, it's, it's about the word today. We're getting into the word. And, and so we're just going to continue along with our sermon series in worship and um, see what the Lord has for us today. So we're, so like I said, we ha we're doing this sermon series uh, in worship. And, you know, I don't know if you've been to a whole bunch of different churches or uh, you, this is your first one, but practically all churches, pretty much all churches, when they meet to worship on Sundays, they do it in four general movements, right? They gather together, uh, the congregation looks at the word, we sing the word, we, we study the word, there's a sermon on the word, then there's a gathering around the table, that's like the Lord's Supper, that's communion. Here at the tapestry, we do that about once every month. And then there's a benediction, we're, we're kind of sent out. So that's, that's the kind of movement of worship on Sundays, right? We gather, there's a word, then there's a table, and then there's a sending. And in our worship series, we're looking at each of these four movements. And we're looking at each of them individually, gather, word, table, send, to explore why we worship the way we do on Sundays. And also how these movements inform our worship outside of the church. Because we worship this way inside of the church, but they should also inform how we worship outside of the church. And so the worship movement that we're going to look at today is the word. Or in other words, the biblical text, the Bible, the scriptures. And the question is, so why do we put so much emphasis on the Bible on Sundays? Why do we sing it? We read it too. We listen to sermons on it. Why? Why do we do that? And to help us answer that question, we're going to turn to the word. It's May 19th, and we're going to look at Psalm 19 on May 19th. And, uh, and I'm actually really thrilled to look at this psalm with you today. I lucked out when uh, I was told that uh, I would be preaching this text, I think. You know, C.S. Lewis, he's a, he's a famous Christian author. He says about this particular psalm, Psalm 19, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter. Like, out of all of them, he's like, I think this is the best one. And one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And so what a joy for us to be able to look at this text today. So let's take a look at it in full. I'm going to read it out for us, and then we're going to kind of go through it. But it starts like this. And this is written by David, and he writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet 
their voice goes out in all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises on one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, much more than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that's the text we're going to look at today. And, you know, this text actually breaks up into three nice parts. And so we're going to talk about it in three sections. First, we're going to talk, we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. And we're going to talk about God's revelation in nature. Then we're going to look at verses 7 to 10. And we're going to talk about God's revelation in scripture. And then finally, we're going to look at verses 11 to 14. And we're going to talk about an even greater revelation. So God's revelation in nature, God's revelation in scripture, and an even greater revelation revelation. But church, I think since this sermon series is on worship, I want to start by giving us a simple definition for worship. All right, so and and I would say that worship is something that holds the ultimate worth or the ultimate value in our hearts. Worship is something that holds the ultimate worth or the ultimate value in our hearts. And I hope that we can see that with that definition, Anything can be worship, right? Anything can be so valued or so loved that we give it the seat of ultimate priority or ultimate prominence in our hearts and in our lives. And so in certain parts of our lives or certain points in our lives, we can say that family comes first, right? Family is number one. Family is the thing that has the seat of highest prominence in our life. We're going to do everything we can to sacrifice and to build up the family, And then there could be other seasons in our life where we say, no, 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 family, I need to put family on the side. Career comes first, right? Career needs to take the ultimate seat of prominence in my life. I need to put career before everything. You know, during playoff time uh, for basketball, we can say that the Raptors come first. Right, I got to make every single playoff game. I got to hit every quarter. I got to know all of the stats. And if we make the Raptors, like if we worship the Raptors during playoff time, then Kawhi Leonard is like our Lord and Savior, right? But truly, with that definition, hopefully what you're, what you're getting from that is, is, is anything can be worshipped. And so I would say that worshipping God, if we're continuing to define our terms, worshipping God is placing God first in our hearts, God first in our lives, in all seasons, before anything else. And church, what I want to propose to you today is that worshipping God comes naturally from knowing God. Worshiping God comes naturally from knowing God, where the more you see God's goodness, the more you experience God's grace, the more you know God, 
the more you'll value him, right? The more you'll see his worth, the more you'll lift him up in your heart and worship him. And the first section in our passage, it's, it gives us this picture of a God who wants to make himself known to us. God wants to make himself known to us. Because the first six verses of this passage, it tells us that God reveals himself to us through creation itself. The psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And so in this first part of the psalm, we have this picture of day after day, the sunrise and, to, and the sunset and every blade of grass, every waking star, all of these things in creation are crying out how amazing God is, how good he is, how glorious he is, how creative God is. We get this picture of praise of God just pouring out of creation like waterfall day after day after day after day. And so in this very beautiful and poetic way, this psalm is telling us why creation, it often doesn't just feel like it's made by natural processes. That creation often doesn't just feel like it's random, but instead it gives us this feeling, it invokes in us this feeling like we're looking at someone's handiwork. We're looking at something that someone has made. And you know, I think it's very hard to escape that feeling because like the psalmist says, all of creation is doing it. You know, I remember there was a time I was talking to a friend uh, in university and he was studying theoretical physics at the time and he was learning about how finely tuned the universe had to be in order to exist. And around that very same time, I was talking with Jessie, who was taking her master's in physiotherapy, and she was studying all the complexities of the human body, all the nerves, all the sinews. You know, just a completely different subject. But they were both telling me how hard it was not to see the fingerprints of God in all of it. You know, creation is declaring the glory of God, that he's real, that he exists, that he's great, that he's powerful, that he's loving. And so that's why I think if you look at anything in creation long enough, right, if you look at a flower for long enough, you look at a sunrise for long enough, you look at anything in creation for long enough, it will draw you into that kind of awe. It will draw you into this kind of wonder. It will start to point you to God, to a creator. So the psalm is telling us that God is a revelatory God. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to speak to us. And that one of the ways that he has made himself known to us is through his creation. But this part of the Psalms, this section of the Psalms, I think it also tells us that communicating to us through creation is not enough for God. Communicating to us through creation is not enough for God. You know, in verse 3 of this Psalms, it says that God's communication to us through creation is what? Without speech, without words, without sound. In other words, it's all silent communication. As Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church says, it is all non-verbal communication. Because the sunrise, as beautiful as it is, will never start whispering to you, God is real. Isn't God awesome? No, it's, it's non-verbal. Right? And, and so what's the problem with that? Right? Or what's the limitation of that? Well, let me, let me give you an example. Like, so I really ran into this limitation over the past couple months because... Our daughter, Carissa, she is a super duper fussy daughter right now. She has colic, she has reflux, she has it all. 
And, then, and so she will only sleep right now if she's being carried. Like if she's in the, in the baby Bjorn or the carrier or whatever it is, she'll only sleep if she's being carried in that. And so Jesse and I, because of that, have practiced a lot of nonverbal communication. We have done stuff like, who are you talking to? What are you eating? Have you eaten yet? Like we just like do a ton of stuff like that. And we got like kind of the shorthand going, all of that stuff. And that was fine. You know, it's okay to communicate in that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, the issue with nonverbal communication that we found is that it's really easy to miss. Like Jesse can really easily miss, like my hand's going crazy, right? It's really easy to be misunderstood. And it's really hard to say what you want if you're trying to say it nonverbally. And so if Jesse and I really wanted to communicate with one another, if we really wanted to share something important or have a deeper and more meaningful interaction, we'd text each other or we'd write notes to each other or we'd just like try our best to sit down and have a conversation. And so listen, let me tell you the reason why communication to us through creation was not enough from God it wasn't enough from God. It's not enough from God because God wants to interact with us much more deeply than that. And he wants to speak to us in much fuller and more meaningful ways than nonverbally. And that's why we believe in the church that God gave us the Bible. That's why we believe that, and that's why we focus on the Bible so much, because we believe the scriptures are God's verbal revelation to us. That the scriptures are one of the primary ways God speaks to us today, one of the primary ways that God draws near to us. And so this psalm is a reminder that the hands that hung the stars and the hands that carved out the sea also put this book together so that you, so that we might be able to know God and love God more. So that's the first section of the psalm. And then the second section of the psalm starts talking specifically about scripture, right? And so that's the second thing we're going to talk about, God's revelation in scripture. And so starting with verse 7, it reads like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And so this part of the Psalms, it talks about the laws of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. And these are all different terms in, that the Old Testament uses to mean scripture. The psalmist is talking about the scriptures here. And let me tell you about one of the key implications of this passage. One of the key implications of this passage here is that God reveals himself to us in the pages of the Bible even more than in creation. And let me tell you why. It's because in the first section of the Psalms, when it's talking about God's revelation in creation, the name that is used for God is Elohim. So that first section of the Psalms, every time it mentions God, it's the word Elohim, which is the general name for God. But in this section of the Psalms, this second section of the Psalms, this section that talks about God's revelation in Scripture, the name that's used for God is Yahweh, Yahweh, and that is God's personal name. 
You know the difference between a general name and a personal name? Like that's like the difference between calling me Mr. Wu and calling me Al. You know, if you call me Albert instead of Mr. Wu, we have a much more personal relationship, do we not? It means that I have let you into my life. And it means that I want to know you and I want you to know me. And, and I think that that is the type of deep relationship that God invites us into through the scriptures, through the word. And this psalm, it tells us that the scriptures are perfect. It tells us that the scriptures are trustworthy. In other words, they are complete. They are this integrated whole. They are given to us as God intended to give to us. And that when we listen to God's words, when we bring it to bear on our lives, the psalm says that these scriptures also have the power to refresh us, has the power to give us wisdom and even great joy in life. And you know, church, I want to stand here today and declare that all of these things are true. All of that is true. But we are focusing on worship today. So the past part of the passage that I want to focus on, part of this section that I want to focus on is verse 9, where it talks about the fear of the Lord. Because I believe one of the key ways that God's word leads us into worship, one of the key ways that the Bible leads us into making God first in all seasons of our lives is by growing in us what verse 9 calls the fear of the Lord. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, um, not long ago, I was on a pastor's trip in China. I was going to all these cities that you just normally don't really go to. And um, on this trip, I remember running into uh, this little girl uh, as I was going on a walk. And this little girl, she was in the process of actually meeting her adopted parents for the first time. I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Right? And so, so this little girl was with her, uh, these adopted parents who, who, who had just flown, got off the plane, and they were walking, they were taking a walk with one another. There was also a translator there or like, some, like a helper to kind of help ease things along. And so they were just like kind of trying to break the ice by taking a look at um, uh, the girl's neighborhood with the girl. And so our paths crossed for a little while. I was walking along with them for a little while, and, and, and I, I noticed that this, this little girl was just so quiet. She was just so very, very quiet. And I, and I knew that, that these, she knew that these people loved her. Right? She knew that these people were, were good. And, but I remember asking this girl through the translator, I remember asking this girl how she felt about everything, how she was feeling about this very special day. And the first thing that this girl said to me, she didn't say much, but the first thing she said was, I'm scared. I'm scared. She knew these people were good. She knew these people loved her. They have went through years to finally meet her and get close to her. She was afraid. And at first, I, I, I mean, I didn't really get that. But, but I think what was going on, like as I was reflecting on things, was she just didn't want to disappoint them. She didn't want to mess things up. She didn't want to lose them. And you know what, church, I think the fear of the Lord can be a lot like that kind of fear. You know, the theologian Aquinas, he says that all fear is caused by love since a person fears to lose what they love. All fear is caused by love since a person fears to lose what they love. 
So let me give you an example of that. You know, when I was a kid and I messed up, like I really messed up, I feared my dad. And I feared my dad because I loved my things. And I was afraid my dad would punish me by taking away my things. When I messed up, when I messed up really big, there were times I feared my dad, and I feared my dad because I loved my body. And I was afraid that my dad would take away my ability to use my body, right? So I was scared. I was scared for my dad to find out those things, right? And in those moments, when I fear, when I love my things, when I love my body, and so I was afraid for my dad to know, those moments, that's when I knew my dad was a good disciplinarian, right? Because my dad knew what things I loved and what to take away so that I would comply with what he wanted me to do. But you know, there are also times when I messed up, and this is when I knew my dad was a good father. I knew my dad was a good father when I messed up huge and I was afraid to let my dad know, not because I love my things or I love my body, but because I love my dad. I was afraid to let my dad know because I love my dad. I didn't want to damage my relationship with my dad. I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to hurt him. Right? I loved my dad at that point. I knew that he was a good father. Because I knew that his ways were good. I knew that his ways were pure. I wanted to keep my dad's ways. And I was afraid that I would cause him shame. I was afraid that I'd make him look bad in front of others. And church, I think that when we read the Bible together, it should grow in us that kind of fear. Where we grow to see God's worth so much. Where we grow to see God's value, his goodness so much that we're fearful of hurting him. We're fearful of straying from him and having him be distant in our lives. That we fear letting go of his ways because letting go of his ways would, to us would be letting go of the sweetest of honey or the most precious of gold. That God's ways are that good to us, that pure to us, that right to us. And so God's revelation of scripture is a key way we grow to know him. And knowing God is a key way we grow in fear of the Lord, which leads us into worship of the Lord. And church, that's why I believe that God's word, the Bible, should be central in the Christian life. That's why it should be central to us on Sundays as well. That's why we sing the word. That's why we speak it. That's why we memorize it. That's why we preach it to one another. That's why we encourage one another to read it. That's why we study it. That's why we apply it. Oh, that we might be a church that desires to read the word and live out of his word. And look, church, let me acknowledge, look, I fully understand reading the Bible, it can take a, a special kind of commitment because I know that reading the Bible can be hard. I know that it can taste bitter before it tastes sweet. I know it can taste dry before it tastes sweet. I know it can be confusing at times. And, you know, I, the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to turn the rest of this time into a how to read the Bible session. Okay, I think there are a lot of study Bibles or a lot of articles. There's a lot of resources out there. You can talk to one of the pastors here. You can talk to somebody else here about, um, to help us out with that, like how to read the Bible well or consistently. But what I did want to spend the rest of our time doing is to give us a lens to read the Bible with. 
I want to give us a lens to read the Bible with. And that's the third thing we're going to talk about, that we read our Bibles through an even greater revelation. We read our Bibles through an even greater revelation. And so the last section of our Psalms is starting from verse 11. It reads like this. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, as we grow to know God and his ways through scripture, it should grow in us a fear of the Lord, but it should also humble us like it humbles this psalmist, right? The psalmist is responding to like the fact that the word is so amazing. And then the psalmist is humbled, right? And I think one of the reasons that is, is because the Bible does not only point to God's glory. The, not, the Bible will not only point to God's goodness, it will also constantly remind you that you are not God. The Bible will point to God's glory, his goodness, but it will remind you that you are not God. It will constantly remind you of your sin. It will remind you of your hidden faults. It will remind you of your flaws. It will reveal them to you. You think you're perfect and then suddenly, you know, you read a biblical text and you're like, oh, shoot, like, I need to be working on that or that or the other thing, right? And this is a big problem with scripture. We, and we see this problem in verse 11 when it talks about reward and warning, right? Because when we read verse 11, it basically says there is this great reward if we keep scripture, if we keep to the word, but there's also warning if we don't. There are also consequences if we don't. And this is a problem with scripture. As transforming as it is, as informing as it is, as good as it is, there is no one here good enough to keep the scriptures. There is no one good enough to get scripture's final reward. So church, I believe that today, if you crack open your Bible and you read your Bible like a manual about, of how to get accepted by God, Right, where you have to do this and you have to keep that in order for God to accept you or in order for you to not lose God, the weight of the Bible's demands will crush you. And that's why we need to read our Bible through the lens of Christ, through this greater revelation through Christ. But let me tell you what I mean. You know, I, I think in this psalm, what we read is that the psalmist, David, he is appealing to God's help. Right, this psalmist is appealing, David is appealing to God's forgiveness, and he's asking God to be his redeemer. And I think what David is doing, without even knowing that he's doing it, is he is appealing to a grace and a goodness that hasn't fully been revealed yet. Right? He is appealing to a grace and a goodness that is greater than he could even imagine, that he has just tasted in part. Because there was an even greater revelation than scripture at the time this passage was written that hadn't happened yet. And so church, remember, we're talking about communication. In many ways, this whole psalm is about communication. And we're talking about communication. And we're talking about how verbal communication is better than nonverbal communication, right? Well, you know, there is a communication that is better and more intimate than verbal communication. And I would call that incarnational communication. 
incarnational communication. Because look, if you, if you want to, say you want to tell someone something, say you want to tell someone you love them. Well, you can, you can use gestures and signs, right? You can like do the little heart thing with your hands or, you know, like flag people down with you, right? You can do that, but even better yet, you can use your words, right? You can write a song, write a poem for them, make a song, whatever the case is, right? But even better yet, you can go to them in the flesh and show them that you love them and tell them in the flesh that you love them. And you see, Jesus was God's greatest revelation to us. Jesus was God taking on flesh. Jesus was God drawing so near to us that he became human and lived among us. And Jesus did not only love the scriptures, he did not only teach the scriptures, he did not only memorize the scriptures, he embodied the scriptures. Jesus shows us the integrity of the scriptures and the perfection of the scriptures through the life that he lived in accordance of, with the scriptures. And so the revelation of God in Christ was fully aligned with the revelation of God in the scriptures. And that's why in the Gospel of John, one of the reasons why in the Gospel of John, Jesus is called what? The Word. And one of the reasons why in Luke, Jesus talks about how all the scriptures are ultimately about him. And so you see, if anyone deserved the reward of scripture, if anyone deserved this deep relationship with God the Father and the fullness of life with him, it would have been the person of Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus gave us the reward. Jesus traded places with us and took the consequences for not keeping the word. And so he went to the cross. He became separated from God. He lost his life so that we could know God deeply and have the fullness of life with him. Look, if you crack open your Bible today, you read it like a rule book, if you read it like a manual of what you need to do or how you need to live in the world to have a relationship with God, it will be dry. It will be bitter all the time. It will not taste as sweet to you. Its demands will crush you. But when we open our Bibles and we read it through the lens of Christ, if we read our Bibles knowing that Christ fulfilled and kept all of the scriptures for you, and that he bore all of the consequences for failing the scriptures on the cross, you'll see so much more of God's grace, how good God is, how beautiful God is, how loving God is. Because you see, the Bible is not about our ability to draw near to him. We can't draw near to him. Who can draw near to him? The Bible is about God's constant desire to draw near to us. So no, church, the Bible is not an instruction manual. If anything, it's more like a love letter about how this good and gracious and glorious God unrelentingly draws near. And so if we look at the Bible through the lens of Christ, won't the revelation of Scripture begin to taste sweeter and sweeter on our lips as we meet with this gracious God whose ways are good? Won't it grow in us a fear of the Lord where we want to be close to him, where we want to keep his word as best we can? where we don't want to stray from him, where we want to follow Jesus, who is the word, and grow to be more like him. 
won't that fear of the Lord lead us into worship where little by little in all seasons and in all situations, we begin to hold on to God as the most precious and valuable thing in our hearts. And so church, let us pursue the word. Let us read the word with that in mind. Let us memorize it. Let us sing it. Let us preach it. Let us do it together. Let us grow a taste for it and internalize it into our lives so that we might grow to earnestly pray the last verse in this psalm. That we might pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God that, that, whose desire is to draw near, to, to make yourself known. And so through, through creation, through scripture, through the person of Christ, you just draw near again and again and again. And we just thank you for that. Lord, in all the ways that we stumble and we fall, we try to get to you, but we can't quite get there. It's like climbing a ladder that's not enough. We thank you that when we fall, mercy comes running to us. When we fall, grace comes running to us. When we fall and we cry out for help, your love comes running to us. So Lord, I just pray that knowing that may delight, give us a delight to draw near to you, to reach out to you, to know that you meet us in scripture. You meet us in creation. You meet us in all of these powerful ways. You meet us through the, through the, through the power of your spirit who is living in us. Lord, I pray that that might spur us forward to desire to be closer, ever closer to you. Do what we can do to reach out to you, knowing that you are God, you are gracious, and that you are the one that draws near. May we have open hands to receive you, open hearts to let you in, open minds to be transformed by you, that our thinking might be changed, and that we might love more and more of the ways that that you speak to us through scripture. Lord, I know that scripture is a challenging thing, that it can be hard. Nobody reads scripture by accident. So Lord, I just pray that you can give us a heart to just pursue you through scripture and that you might um, reveal yourself to us through it. All of these things we pray in your name.